Today's episode of Azure Lunch is sponsored by the Microsoft New Zealand Partner Hub. If you are building software or providing services related to Microsoft products, then you should check out the Partner Hub for training, advice, and a heap of resources, including the Partner Practice Books. You can get them from aka.ms slash nzpartnerhub. Good morning, I'm Daniel Larson, Senior Technical Evangelist at Microsoft, and I'm joined once again by Matt Simpson, Senior Technical Evangelist at Microsoft. Uh, we work for Microsoft, but of course, these opinions are, are our own. Good morning, Matt. Kia ora. Good morning. Kia ora. Well, uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you uh, for the great response we had to our, our first uh, podcast recording. Um, Funny story around that is we just had no intention of publishing it when we recorded it, but it went so well that we thought we'll put it up there as an MVP. And thank you to Mum and um, and the other three people who subscribed because uh, yeah, we bought one mic and hopefully uh, you know if we get a few more, we might buy another mic uh, next week. But no, seriously, I've had a really good response on social media and also from events that I've been to from people who've uh, listened to the podcast and appreciate it. So that's. That's really cool. Awesome. Good work and well done on getting it published. To yeah, well, I know it was a. Problem. I could do a whole episode on that, <laughs> on how do you get your um, podcast published on iTunes. That is certainly uh, not a trivial exercise. And reverse engineering uh, RSS XML is, is a lot of fun. But, um, <laughs> we're hosting this on Azure CDN too, which is pretty cool. So yeah. maybe we should come back and tell a story about that. Yeah, I think how we build, I mean, that's kind of part of the. Part of our role, anyway, is talk about how we build things and then kind of uh, make it fit for public consumption. And you know, people want to hear about the the stories that um, of how it, how it what it took to build. And you know, if you can give somebody five minutes back on something that you found, yeah, and um, that you struggled with, I think that's super valuable, right? But, totally. Um, you know, yeah, I'm a great consumer of other people's um, experiences online and social media. You know, I don't think it's great where if we share our experiences, then you know, somebody can get some value out of it, and that, that's awesome. That's what it's all about. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. I mean, feel free to fire us any questions if you are thinking about doing your own podcast, and it's something um, we, you know, I would encourage. It's been been fun so far. Yeah, it's been really fun. For sure. So just, you know, in terms of our future plans, it's not just going to be Matt and I yarning on every week. Uh, we are hoping to get some some guests in, and someone I'd really like to talk to who's coming to our Azure Lunch meetup next week is Ben Chartrand. Really hoping we can get him to sit down with us for a few minutes and talk about what he's been working on. Uh, big serverless guy. His talk's called Tacos and Wolves. So look forward to that. Um, if you are heading to the Azure Lunchtime Meetup or if you've already been, um, yeah, that's going to be a goodie. And yeah, we're hoping to get more guests from the community and from Microsoft as well to come, come and talk on the podcast too. Cool. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So we've got a, a few things we want to talk about this week. Uh, first of all, was a, a big announcement. When was that? Last week? Uh, you know, maybe a week ago, our time. So yeah, I think it was a week ago. Yeah, yeah and our time machine. Um, Mid middle of September, we're recording. We're recording now. this. That's right. Was was Azure DevOps, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I also want to talk about the .NET conference, uh, which was a virtual online conference, which I thought was excellent. So first of all, Azure DevOps. Azure DevOps. So before you, I just want to, I just want to preface this by I was a wee bit critical and hesitant about the name change and I think there was a bit of sentiment around that hmm. um, but then I watched Martin Woodward's talk on the .NET conference and yeah he he's actually completely me completely turned me around uh, and I get it now I, I get the naming I understand that so I think that's a good talk to put into context but I think 
you know, was the, it what was it that turned it around for you? What, what turned what it around was the pipelines, and I know you know that's what you're going to talk about. But being able to go into uh, Newtonsoft King's project, Newtonsoft, and you know, scroll down on the readme and hit the build status badge, and then be into the builds and actually seeing the builds and the build logs. I mean, that is quite outstanding. And I and I get what now why it's named you know Azure. It's because to Martin's point, Azure's always been about multi-cloud and hybrid cloud and you know and all the clouds. The alternative is, is we keep naming it Visual Studio, but there'll be some you know developers who don't use Visual Studio at all who are using completely different tools who maybe are not not too stoked about that, right? And I think that was the key thing for me was around this this concept that it was kind of overloaded. The whole term was overloaded, right? It was Visual Studio, and then we kind of tacked on the end of it, right? And, and there's you know so now it's Azure DevOps, but it's that's the collective term for a group of services, right? So we have pipelines and things like that, and the you know the, we've got the board. So if you want to do work item. Item tracking, you can do that. If you want to do release management, you can do that. But the, the cool thing that I found out as well as part of the release was that now you can actually have the UI streamlined. So that if you're using, because you know it's quite, it's a big tool. I mean, it does everything, right? And that was kind of the thing. It's not just it was a beast. It was huge, right? And but now you know some people are using GitHub Enterprise or they're using GitHub and they're not using the source control aspect of it, or maybe they're using Jenkins for their build or Travis or something like that. Um, you can actually now turn around and say, well, I'm not using those components, so don't show them to me in the UI, yeah. which is really really nice, right? Yeah. So you know it doesn't feel like this big big beast where you can just say, well, I just want pipelines because that's what I'm doing and I just want work item tracking. That's right. And I can take all the other stuff out of the um, the UI, have a real streamlined experience. I'm not kind of being overloaded by this behemoth. So yeah, it's super cool. It's really good. And you know, for us working in the field, you know, when we go and try and explain this to customers, it'd be like, okay, what's VSTS? You know, what's Visual Studio Team Services? Well, you've got, you know, continuous integration and continuous deployment and you've got work items and tasks and also, you know, make a cup of tea for you and then do everything, right? But I, I, uh, as you say, I, I just love how we've actually sliced that down into into chunks and you can pick and choose what works for you, uh, you know, on any project. I mean, open source, that's just, to me, is just such a great play. VS Code is built now with an Azure um, pipeline. My own project library, which is open source, is, is built on an Azure DevOps pipeline. And, and as an, you know, as an OSS library uh, contributor, that, that's, you know, First of all, is um, is a great benefit from that. I mean, we're pretty much giving it away, right? For yep. OSS. So uh, for 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 a public um, open source project, uh, you now get unlimited builds and yeah. ten concurrent, which is kind of crazy as well. And it's concurrent pipeline. Concurrent so. pipeline. So if you kicked off a build and potentially you know you had a number of build steps, or you could actually kick off. 10 builds concurrently and keep them going, like, go nuts. So can you drill into that a little bit more? Would that, does that mean I, if I'm targeting, say, 10 different platforms, I could build? 10, 10 different platforms. If you want to use different build agents, so you want to build something for, you know, you want to build something on, because now the Mac build agent, mm. so we have now, we have a Mac OS um, build agent, so you can actually um, target that. So you could have your Windows, Linux, Mac, and push the whole thing, they'd all run concurrently at the same time, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Outstanding, yeah. that's right. So prior to that, you know, uh, Visual Studio Team Services has always been free for for five users or less, and uh, but there was two hundred or two hundred and fifty build minutes a month. Yeah, you get some build minutes, and you'd only be, and single you know, pipeline, you'd single pipeline, right? Yeah, yeah where, where you basically, if you're with a group of developers, or you you kind of everyone's queuing up the builds, it's only going to exactly. run run um, you know sequentially. So it's good to have that concurrency as well. I'm just you know 
That's really right. kind of making it, uh, giving it back to, to open source is really going to push it, which is nice. Yes, very nice. And even if you're not open source, I think we've pushed that limit up to 1800 minutes now uh, on the on the free uh, version with the uh, virtual build agents. Um, so yeah, that's that's very good. And just making it easier and accessible as well. So there's now, you know, there, there has been, but there is a GitHub um, marketplace um, similar to the uh, VS, uh, Visual Studio marketplace. Uh, but now with the GitHub Marketplace, you can just go in there um, and go to, uh, go to CI, um, get your uh, Azure pipelines, and you can pay for it using your GitHub. It'll set up all the Azure stuff. You don't need to have an Azure account. Um, you don't need to go through that, so that's super good. Okay, cool. So let's move on now to the, the .NET conference. This was a, a virtual online conference. You want to tell us a bit about that, Matt? Yeah, so this was a group of people over in Redmond decided to get together for a couple of days, actually, and um, put together a big kind of push on what's new in .NET, and they kind of covered everything, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I caught some of it. I've got, there's, a, there's a great YouTube playlist out there as well, uh, which has got the uh, the whole kind of video um, all put together. So yes. I'm keen to kind of go and digest that. There's, there's heaps of content. I mean, uh, I think there's something like 20, there's 20 plus sessions yes. covering everything from kind of, you know, Azure, State of Azure, the, oh, you said about Martin Woodward talking about um, Azure DevOps, and then we go all the way through Xamarin. I think, um, you know, there's some Miguel's there talking, and, you know, we go all the way into kind of mobile and, and desktop development as well. There's, there's so much content. It's great. Uh, yeah. I love the format, you know, virtual online conference. So, you know, no no conference room, no no big um, event center, anything like that. I mean, I just, you know. I yeah, I mean, they used the channel online studios as well. And I think that, you know, they were just, and they were going from, you know, it was, it, so you could stream it live, which was yes. kind of cool as well. So you Very kind of cool. felt like you were kind of in there at the thing. And then I know that um, Jeff Fritz and those guys actually went and, you know, streamed all night and did some yes, crazy stuff on and Twitch. Did some, yeah, there's some Twitch streaming yeah. and there's some kind of cool stuff to, to see that where yes. it was really trying to pull everyone in and get some more engagement, no, not just a one-way one way street sending it out. But then That's obviously right. it's been recorded and served up um, so people can go and digest it afterwards because there is just so much there. It's crazy. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we're Troy beaming in from, I guess he's in Sydney, New South Wales, somewhere. Mm, and yeah. and uh, that Twitch, you know, experience is, is so good where we're, we're switching around the world and, you know, they put a little map in between each one and go, okay, we're going back to Seattle, which is good. So check it out. That, that playlist is amazing. And I'd really like to do something local um, here next year when they do it because I just thought it's such a great idea. There were lots of localized events around the world. So hopefully uh, we can get a few people together and, and let's do something local here in New Zealand for uh, .NET Conf next year. So a lot of great content. Mads was on there. You know, Martin did a, Martin Woodward did a really good talk. Um, but there were two talks that really stuck out to me. And one was Emo um, Landworth talking about the uh, talking about building libraries um, on .NET, .NET standard. What was the What was the key takeaway for you then? Without kind of the key um, takeaway. So you know, just to give you a bit of background. Recently, I've been writing a library and uh, .NET standard. Um, that's Matt's been helping me with sort of you know my journey back to .NET Core, which has been really good. Um, and there's a couple of really good aspects to that. First is the tooling is amazing. I've done everything in VS Code, and that's been really good. But the other thing is the .NET standard story. So just to rewind the .NET standard story a bit, and you know Matt, you have to help me out here because I still struggle to explain this. But .NET standard really is is that standard that we're overlaying on other frameworks so that we can say right, if you adhere to this .NET standard 2.0, uh, then anyone who's implementing 
I guess, a framework or .NET Core or UWP or, or, or Xamarin, as long as they're hearing, adhering to that standard, which which they, they are and they'll state they are, then your code's going to work. I mean, is that... Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's basically just saying, you know, if you're going to, if you want to get to Windows 7 users, yes. then potentially, you know, or Windows 8, 8.1, right. you know, and if you don't, if you not got any 8.1 and you just want to go to Windows 10, you know, it gives you that kind of API surface to say, well, yes, I can get to these people. Yes. Um, and yeah, just really shows you... Um, how broadly you can you can go right because yep. obviously then as the standard progresses and we move up and uh, we you know we rev that then there's obviously some of those older systems are going to be left behind so it's just that way of um, really kind of time shifting and you say if you want to go go um, that way you can and, and the great thing is about it is that you know you can actually do this in using um, full framework so you can actually implement um, you know you can pull these um, libraries in um, to the bigger um, yes. the bigger stuff and then you can also target if you're a library developer only you can actually target um, multiple platforms as well so you don't have to be um, um, tied to it that's right so as a library developer and this is what I'm this is what I'm doing is uh, so I'm building a, a Spotify API wrapper this is for the Spotify API which is a great API to hack on of I wrote one in, in Node.js and that was a lot of fun and put that up on GitHub and now I'm doing one in .NET Core and uh, .NET Standard sorry and yeah and that's you know if, if you're into developing libraries and if you haven't written one before it's definitely a really good experience for teaching you about you know versioning keeping customers happy you know you, you can't just break stuff and you know you, you know that really upsets the consumers of your libraries and and just there's some really good dynamics in that which are quite subtle which you know I don't think you really experience until you actually write one also in distributing computing distributed computing a library by definition is software that's consumed by another piece of software usually an application or a service uh, and distributed computing, that's really important because we really want to move away from a monolith to um, you know, lots of different services and libraries are absolutely key to that because you'll have your core libraries that are reused across that. And, and you know, Newtonsoft, JSON is, is a really good example of that. And that's you know, consumed by millions of applications, including most of Microsoft's. And you know, that's a really good example of a, of a library that, that targets lots of different frameworks. The other thing that I took away from Memo's talk was that process of targeting different frameworks has got a whole lot easier mm -hmm. because thanks to good old compiler switches, compiler switches used to be a nightmare. You know, you'd, you'd have to put in this crazy, um, you know, command line almost um, switch to, to get it to compile for the different frameworks and things like that. Now, I think it's literally a Dropbox down in um, Visual Studio. Plus, when you build your NuGet package, which you should be if you're building a library, uh, it just bundles everything in for you for the different frameworks. And you know that story has just got so much better and must make it a lot easier for library developers who are targeting uh, lots of different frameworks. So as we see that with the shift, you know, with with customers that are looking to kind of move, you know, we've got a number of customers that are still using full framework and those kind of things. So this gives them the ability to say, well, we could actually start pushing some of our core logic into, you know, we could start pushing them into libraries, but still multi-targeting. So we can actually set ourselves up for the future. Yes. So potentially, you know, taking some of that core, um, you know, that core business that is essentially the guts of the application, mm. we want to reuse it. We don't have to want to just, you know, throw it away and, and, and write it again for another, exactly. another and the next framework. We can actually no. now start saying, well, we're going to start targeting, you know, .NET standard maybe to you know 2.0 uh, for the new stuff and we can we can kind of do a multi uh, multi deployment for the libraries which is which is super cool that's very cool and you know really .NET is starting to become I think almost a platform where we can say if you're targeting .NET you're good I mean the cross platform story 
you know, the all of the different frameworks that will run in. We're seeing a lot more desktop development now, thanks to .NET, and that's definitely on, on the roadmap. So, you know, very exciting to me to see how we can go to product teams now and say, look, if you target .NET today, uh, then that's really setting you up for a really good platform in the future, regardless of where you're hosting, you know, which um, operating system you're targeting, whether you're, whether you're mobile, whether you're desktop, and even whether you're web. I mean, you know, Blazor, which, you know, we keep threatening to talk about, we will, um, you know, in one episode, when I went to target Blazor, the first thing you hit when you when you're writing the library is you'll have these. Um, you'll start to need these. Um, what is it? Almost um, platform specific libraries that will throw not supported exceptions. And when you do that, then you know another another piece from Emo's talk is how you actually work around that, how you detect that, and how you write switching code to to handle for those those cases. That's a big big deal as well. Right? As we as we move to this um, you know this cross platform environment where you know. And that's where library development gets really interesting yeah. and you're talking about um, whether you're going Windows and Linux, just the file system, even if you want to interact with the file system, just thinking about those kind of quirks because obviously, you know, there's, that, that's different and that's that's hard to, you can actually write a cross-platform, you know, in, in, in air quotes uh, application that you've actually, you know, can only, it can only run on Windows and I've, I've run into that myself where, you know, I'm trying to, you know, navigate, um, you know, the file system and they're, they're different between the platforms. So Absolutely. They don't follow the same rules. So you can actually, you can actually end up, um, you know, writing, um, yeah, cross-platform app that only runs on Windows, which, you know, which kind of defeats the purpose. But like you say, I think, you know, the, the um, .NET as a platform really speaks to me is, is that, you know, it, you know, we can do web now, we can do modern web, yes. um, we can do mobile, we can do desktop, like you said, and we do cross-desktop um, mobile with Xamarin, sorry, um, you know, and then we can go into the back end, we've now got serverless, so you can do... You know all your functions and those those kind of that paradigm shift as well. We can run it in containers. You know it really can run anywhere, and, yes. and I think that's where obviously where, where we're going with with .NET Core. But it really is now. It feels like we're the fruits of the, those people's labor has really come to fruition. Yeah, it's totally. Really I, you know, I was describing it to someone yesterday. It's it's what we've been waiting for. You mm. know, you know, as a as a .NET developer, this is dream come true so there's there's that and then the other great talk that i saw was about service fabric um so service fabric is an orchestrator it's been around for a long time an orchestrator is in distributed computing is something that will you know supervise your workloads it'll resource manage them it will provide service discovery it'll um, you know health logging and deployment is what a good orchestrator would do. The, the well-known ones are Kubernetes, which, you know, we've got Azure Kubernetes service, and we also have Service Fabric. And Service Fabric is open source, runs on Windows and Linux. Um, we use it in Azure a lot. Um, we talked about this before. A lot of Azure actually runs on Service Fabric. Heaps of, it, heaps of Microsoft, you know, just yeah. uh, assets. You know, we talk about, um, you know, uh, Bing, those kind of assets. We've got yes. uh, Teams. Uh, you know, there's there's a kind of all those things that, that run on the background. Lots of Azure Compute, um, SQL. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. SQL's interesting because mm. Azure SQL DB runs on Service Fabric, which, which is, is an orchestrator. Which is nuts. Which is nuts. This is distri distributed computing across multiple nodes, and of course you have to have consistency, right? You know, that's pretty important in, a, in an acid RDBMS. Um, so. How do we do that in Service Fabric? And there's this great blog, I'll put it on the on the show notes that uh, Vashesh um, shared with us about comparing um, Service Fabric with Kubernetes. Not, not to say one's better than the other, but just the differences in how they approach. And Service Fabric, I didn't realize this, is completely decentralized. And the nodes, the workloads are supervised by their neighbors. 
And there's this great algorithm for this, which was published in a Microsoft uh, research white paper that they use. So the neighbors will look after the neighbors. They'll keep an eye on them. And so we'll, we'll detect failure within seconds, sometimes milliseconds, which is unbelievable from a distributed computing point of view. And that's how we keep, you know, that's how we, you know, we honor those uh, incredibly high uptimes for services like uh, Azure SQL DB, which are literally distributed across hundreds or thousands of nodes. Mm. Very cool story. Anyway, we were just watching um, how this folds back into .NET is Service Fabric, there used to be, it's, it's fair to say, a fair bit of, of heavy lifting uh, to get this, a wee bit of yak shaving to get this um, you know, going. Uh, as a .NET developer, you know, you've got to bring in, I think it's the service manager for Service Fabric and, and other bits and pieces. But there's a new style or a new way of working, and this is in uh, Vaklav's talk on the Service Fabric talk on .NET conference that we've been talking about around about the 44-minute mark. Watch the whole talk because it's all good, but around about the 44-minute mark, he shows a new style of writing Service Fabric, uh, I, I want to say applications or APIs, where you don't actually need to drag in the whole Service Fabric framework. So... Uh, Really, you in the startup.cs file for, say, an ASP.NET Core uh, API application, you would say, I can't remember what it was, use reliable storage, I think it was mm. something like that. And now you've got the reliable storage API. So the reliable storage API in Service Fabric is very cool. It basically allows you to store, uh, you know, anything of T, you know, say a dictionary of T or you know, any object in a reliable manner. But what we mean by reliable is we, you know, we keep at least three replicas, uh, one of those in RAM and, and um, others in storage, and they're striped across the cluster. Now that's great if you've got service fabric, but you know, running service fabric on your local machine uh, is, is pretty heavyweight. Yes, we have emulators that do that, but that's still a big deal. So what they've done is they've, they've torn that apart. There's now one NuGet package which will provide you with a reliable collection. Uh, you bring it into your ASP.NET Core project. You've got all the goodness of reliable collections, so you can store data reliably. Uh, but if it's not running in the cluster, it'll still persist that to to your file system. So it's uh, you know it's still stored. You just won't get the uh, the replicas. There'll be no replicas because it's not running on the fabric. Now. Man, I, why I think this is interesting is it means once again we can say to product teams target.net use reliable collections don't worry about the hosting you know don't worry about where, where it's being hosted you just you know use this interface for your storage if you're writing a stateful service uh, you target uh, .NET core or .NET standard and uh, and we're good and then we'll leave it to our platform teams in terms of you know creating that hosting environment uh, creating the you know looking after the cluster all that stuff that's really hard and important um, and they'll take take care of that you can just have confidence that that code is, is going to run and it's going to be reliable and we're going to have uh, perfect consistency across that cluster what, what's your what's your take on that it's just another abstraction I think it's just a, you know we're moving higher up you know I think you know why back a couple of you know a few years and we were building clusters and yeah. you know, that was the tough part and you know there was you know and then you know kubernetes has come along and, and simplified that and yeah. service fabric was already there right it's taken that job and made it easier i don't have to think about that stuff and i just think this is taking it that next shift where we don't need to think about um you know necessarily pods or you know where my, yes. my application is going to end up and you know i just say i want it highly available and i want three of them uh, and then make it there but i can also um you, you know i can still within the context of my local environment i can still develop against this 
uh, and then when it goes to the when it goes to production, um, it can it can be made you know uh, production grade um, and have that um, have the replicas and have have the benefit there. And I think the main goal there with with that in the targeting .NET and using Service Fabric is then we can end up with these stateful applications that we can run. Um, you know, I can run it on my machine. Um, it becomes very, you know, it's stateful, but I can run it in the cloud, highly available um, across multiple machines, which is super hard to do. You know, if we yes. if we if we look at how we'd do that with um, if we just had containers and and we didn't have service fabric, we didn't have that paradigm, we'd be into doing something with um, probably Redis cache and a service bus, and we'd be having to you know persist this stuff and you know make it and then put it in a database and things like that. Whereas we can actually now make these collections reliable, um, and that's literally a one line. Uh, to some degree, uh, where we amazing. can kind of take, you know, it's, uh, you know, and you've told me this before. You know, you love deleting code, um, which is great. You know, just get, you know, just get rid of it, and it's kind of, you know, it's just less to deal with, right? It's less Absolutely. to, it's less to maintain, less to understand. You know, the more you can kind of um, get, get rid of stuff that you know can be done for you, and uh, just, you know, and that that talks awesome. You know, that one liner, yeah. uh, and then just, you know, this is a this is a, you know, file new project. Here's my API. Bring in a NuGet package. Um, two lines of code, and you're you're into uh, distributed um, APIs using using kind of reliable um, the, uh, collections that can be scaled is is huge to me. It's, it's it's a massive massive shift. It is huge. It's it's outstanding, and it makes me wonder where that team's going to go next with that. You know, because uh, as we keep saying, it's never been a better time to be a developer. These days, most of us are developing at scale, and you know, to your great point, simplicity is the key to being able to scale um, teams, organizations, and code bases. Well, I think that's probably a good note to, to leave it on. We have gone pretty deep there. Um, please give us some feedback. I mean, we love talking about this. We could talk about it all day, literally, and, and we usually do. So we'd love to hear your views. If you would like us to, you know, um, just give us some feedback in terms of how you think this podcast is doing, we'd love to hear it from you. Uh, you can just, uh, you know, DM us on, on Twitter or you can leave a comment on the um, Azure Lunchtime Meetup page. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Please do subscribe. That that helps us um, see how we're doing and, and helps us justify our, our time a wee bit. But, um, yeah, thanks very much for listening. And I also have to say uh, thanks very much to our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Microsoft and, uh, in particular, the Microsoft New Zealand Partner Hub. So if you're building software or providing services related to Microsoft products, then you should check out the Partner Hub for training, advice, and a heap of resources, including the Partner Practice Playbooks. I checked out that ISV playbook um, the other day. It is amazing. I mean, you know, there's there's everything in there about how to be a successful ISV by, you know, the largest and most successful ISV in the world, um, Microsoft. But what I love about it is we didn't just rely on, you know, Microsoft. We actually consulted with a lot of partners and a lot of research organizations to write those playbooks. A playbook is, I guess, a collection of, you know, practices and patterns to be to be successful. We use them a lot internally at Microsoft, and it's great to see us sharing those. So check them out on aka.ms slash nzpartnerhub. I'm Daniel Larson. Thanks very much once again, Matt. Thanks, Dan. And we'll see you all next time.